Welcome to the Realized Gains Podcast, a guide to real estate investing. Join our co-hosts, Jordan Lee and Stephen Tran, as we interview a diverse group of real estate investors, both amateur and professional. Our goal is to help you understand that anyone can invest in real estate. Tune in to hear creative strategies and learn from both our mistakes and our successes. You can find us where you love to listen to podcasts, on YouTube, or at jordanleemortgage.com. And do you have like a strategy going to plan on paying everything off early or are you just going to make your payments over time? So most people don't know this, but most of my properties are owned free and clear. I've been aggressively paying them off. Correct. What's your, what's your strategy for doing that? Like when, once your portfolio gets bigger, do you like, do you kind of do the snowball one or do you kind of just always pay a little extra with each one or how, how have you been, how have you focused on that? Snowball was more of the approach that I took. I, like one of them, I had a mortgage that was $600 a month. I'm like, I just need to be done with this. This is yeah, one yeah. thing that I get in the mail. Right. So I started focusing on that one. And I realized that all the rent money that was coming in, right. I, I knew what I could kind of push back towards that one. I, yeah. I snowballed that one. That one was gone. And then I'm like, oh, well that feels good. Let's do this for another one. Right. And so then yep. I did it for the next and now I'm in the, in the next and the next and the next. So I currently have um, only three of my properties that have a mortgage on it. That's real generational wealth when you don't have payments on that. You don't have debt that you have to worry about. Hey guys, welcome to episode 57 of the Realized Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. I'm an Oregon and Washington realtor, and I'm also an investor in multifamily and short-term rentals. And I'm your co-host, Jordan Lee, uh, based here in Portland, Oregon, loan originator, licensed in about nine states. And uh, I also invest in single-family homes, and I'm just getting my toe wet with a duplex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who, we, who did we bring on the show today? Yeah, so we had Crystal Anse from uh, our Fresno chapter of Aria. Uh, she's a good friend of ours. Um, she is a local realtor, has been a realtor since, I believe, 2007. I think she's been a realtor since like she was about 21. Uh, originally was an elementary school teacher. Yeah, she got she graduated from college at 19 and then got into teaching and quickly moved on to the family business of real estate and did a really great job. She's got a great story about investing. Um, so if you want to, you know, learn more about investing and how to big, build a portfolio and figure out your kind of box as an investor, I think this is a great episode for you. Hey guys, welcome to episode 57 of the Realize Gains podcast. I'm Stephen Tran. And I'm your co-host here, Jordan Lee. And we're super excited to have uh, Crystal Anse, I just said it wrong after asking her how to say it right. You're good. <laughs> on the show today uh, from, from Fresno. You want to, um, Crystal, you want to give us a quick introduction and kind of like your background and your story? Absolutely. Yeah. Fresno, California. So the armpit of California, right? Um, <laughs> I've been in real estate since 2007, but my dad owned and operated our company for 43 years prior to that. So I tell everyone that I've been in real estate my entire life because I remember going to hold open houses with him when I was in fourth and fifth grade. And I was the like super nerd that was trying to explain to my sixth grade friends the difference between an FHA and a conventional loan. So really? my background in real estate goes all the way back. Um, I didn't want to do what my dad did. So I rebelled and I became an elementary teacher and I taught for three years. 
And during that time, I realized that the walls were caving in on me. I was um, young at the time. I graduated college when I was 19 years old. Uh, So started teaching immediately after. So, you know, friends are turning 21 years old. They're going out and they're having fun. And I'm like, well, I'm doing language intervention before school. I teach all day. I'm doing math intervention after school. I'm doing destination imagination on the weekends. And I realized that was not the life that I wanted. And during that time, my dad's like, come, come see what I do. And I was like, no, dad, that's not happening, not happening. Um, Unfortunately, my mom passed during that time. And I was like, maybe he's just lonely. Maybe he just wants me to hang out with him. So one weekend I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll go see what you do, dad. Um, And me and my I love to overstudy everything. I kind of read a purchase agreement even prior to hanging out with him that weekend. And I heard him explain a purchase agreement to some first time home buyers for the very first time. And in the back of my head, I thought to myself, hmm, I can do that and I can do it better than you just did it. <laughs> and I think that was that was the start of it. It was like November and I knew I wasn't going to leave my second grade class behind. So I had put in my letter of resignation saying I will finish out this school year. But when June, whatever it was, June 8th hits, I'm, I'm done with teaching. And so between November and June, I got my real estate license. I started understanding the forms and the background of everything that happens and took my took my exam during that time. And as soon as I passed, I hit the ground running and I've been a full-time realtor ever since. Uh, my dad retired about eight years ago now. And my sister and I took over the company. So I'm the broker okay, and so owner worked here. With, worked with him like to get started and, and yeah. you guys were kind of a team. And then now you yeah. kind of have taken Absolutely. Well, you see, I use the word team very loosely. He was not the best teacher, although that was my <laughs> background. So I passed my real estate exam and my sister is doing this concurrently with me. She was in college and we kind of were both trying to figure out what we were going to do with our life. And so we both took the real estate exam and we passed and we come running into the office and we're like, dad, we passed, we passed. And he's like, great. That's your desk. That's your desk. You've got your phones. Good luck. And we're like, uh, are well, you gonna welcome help us to real estate <laughs> he's like nope good luck so we had to figure it out so my first year in real estate I held an open house on one of his old shabby overpriced listings every single day other than holidays we were out there like 340 days of that year and that's how we started our business. That's how we, that's how we picked up clients. That is exactly how I generated all of my business. I was not given, unfortunately, a a silver platter of plates, phone numbers, and contact information from my dad that said, here, go work on it. It was good luck. And uh, I think that was the best way for us to learn though. Right. So I've been in the trenches. I know exactly what it feels like to have zero clients and not have a listing and not know where in the world I was going to even find someone. So it was great practice. And obviously we still use that skill set to this day. Um, but that's kind of my, how I got started in real estate. Super interesting. You said a couple of things there that I want to follow up on. So, so tell me like, what, how did you graduate college at 19? Like what, what was the, did you start going to community college? Like while you were in high school and take you know, I the, like so I, I did like all those crazy AP whatever. classes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I did all crazy AP classes in high school. I'm I'm a 
we'll just say an overachiever. Right? Well, what was so the we, motivation for that? Were you just like wanting to not spend a lot of time in college or what, or do you just wanted to like achieve as much as you could or why? Yeah. Did you I, so I just always pushed myself to the absolute extreme. So even my senior year of high school, I was taking like five classes at the city college concurrently. Like I love to have a full plate. So when people say that they're busy in real estate, I'm just like, this is nothing you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I got, I got this. I can do busy. And um, no, I was just kind of the overachiever school came thankfully very easy to me. So Mm -hmm. it was, let's, let's just keep this, this train going. And I mean, my first, as a freshman, I had the Dean sign off, um, allowing me to take, I think I did 26 units, my first semester. <laughs> it was full, uh, full load was 16 at your school. 12 to 16, depending oh, on yeah, your major. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 UW. Um, so I'm curious, like, you know, you, you joined, uh, the brokerage with your dad and it's just you and your sister. Was there anybody else in the office at all? Or where did you get mentorship eventually? No. So he had what we call now our legacy agents. He had seven other agents that worked for him, but there was definitely, um, an age gap, right? So my sister and I are coming in at 21 years old, 22 years old at the time. And I think the next youngest agent in his office was about 45. So right there he the agents that he had had been with him for years like we had an we have an agent that's been with us for 43 years um we've we've got agents that are all very seasoned right we just call them they're they're very seasoned but it wasn't something that my sister and I could kind of jive with it wasn't you know they were running ads granted even back in 2006 2007 running ads in the newspaper was still a thing but they were all like go run an ad in the newspaper, make sure you put your open house in the newspaper. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. And so we <laughs> my buyers to- don't read newspapers. <laughs> I was like, none of my friends are reading newspapers and that's my clientele basis. So that's not where I'm going um, with advertising. Um, so no, not really a mentor. Granted, dad was there when we got ourselves into some stuff. You know, he was the one, dad, I got an issue help me through it, right? He was 100% always there for those situations. Knew how to negotiate, knew how to write a contract, knew how to close it. All all the ins and outs. And it was helpful to, even in real estate now, I still use Togo, which is my maiden name. I still use Togo with a lot of my real estate transactions because everyone knew his last name. He was Mm -hmm. a big REO broker in our area. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I got into real estate, so I got my license the end of 2006, still big old REO boom, right? There's still a lot of that going on. And I mean, on any given day, he'd have 150 to 200 listings. So, you know, we just picked one of those and said, we'll sit at it and we'll, we'll do an open house. Um, But his, he didn't need to procure clients, right? It's a whole different mentality when you're an REO broker versus a brand spanking new agent that doesn't know anything about real estate. And at the time, I had only purchased my own personal property, but I had never purchased an investment property. And to be honest, I purchased it from a builder. So I bought brand new. Hmm. So I really didn't know what that experience looked like. I passed the test. I'm a great test taker. I can pick A, B, C, or D and get it right most of the time. I'm good at that. But actual application, I knew absolutely nothing. And my favorite story I tell people is my first transaction. I'm working with a buyer. I'm helping them write an offer. And she looks at me and she says, so how much commission am I paying you? And I said, well, I don't know that MLS is 3%. And 
I was like, let me find out. And I called my dad and he reamed me a new one. He's like, are you kidding? You don't even know who pays you? And I'm like, no, I've never done this before. <laughs> Did so you tell me? That's how, <laughs> right. That's how naive I was in the real estate business. Like at the beginning, obviously I've learned a lot since then, but that was my base point. Um, yeah. So that, that's my, that's my start in real estate. Hey, going back to the, the teacher situation. So I often find that really like successful agents come from a teacher background. Um, what you kind of motivated you to become a teacher? And then you said something earlier about how it wasn't like you didn't talk about seeing your dad get a check and or like seeing what, you know, you know, the parties he went to or whatever, something like that, that got you interested in real estate. You talked about him having a buyer's consult and, and going over a contract with someone and kind of like, you know, teaching somebody how to buy a house. How, how does that, how did that transition happen? Like, what is it about that, that you like about real estate and, and what drew you to teaching and what made that transition for you? Yeah. So I taught second grade and I have a master's second grade. In okay. Instruction. Yeah. I've got a master's in curriculum and instruction, which literally is a fancy way <laughs> of saying I can take complex information and I can digest it and regurgitate it for seven-year-olds. Hmm. Just kind of what I do on a daily basis, exactly. right? Like I, I, I kind of knew, <laughs> I kind of knew that's what I was getting into, and I knew what it felt like to be a first-time homebuyer. And the words and the ver the language that he was using was I knew was completely over their head. Mm. You know, he's talking about. So you can about, see that buyer's consult, and the the buyer's just kind of like, like okay. yes, he's, he's talking about contingencies, and I'm like, but he never even explained what a contingency was. You got 17 days for this. You got 20 days for this. You got 30 days to close. And they're just like, okay, like he was doing a great job explaining technically what the contract said, but he was not doing, in my opinion, never speak bad about my dad, but in my opinion, it was a little over their heads for first time home buyers who were 20 something, you know, getting ready to, they were engaged. I know exactly who they were. And in fact, I've worked with them numerous times since then, but, um, you know, they were 20 somethings engaged never bought anything major in their life, like had never even purchased a car. And so this is, this is a huge purchase for them. And so to try to explain an already overly complicated California purchase agreement to them, he did a great job for his 40 years of experience. And right. If he's talking to a colleague or someone else in the industry, makes right. Sense. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't coming out in the way that it needed to for those buyers. And I went, man, I can do this. I can do this. And I think that was really the motivation to get behind it. I had no idea how much money my dad made back in the day. I mean, I knew we lived in a great house and I knew that he was always able to give us the things that we need, but I I had no clue like what that related to. Obviously kind of, I was, I've almost always been naive prior to like what money meant, right? I got into teaching because I loved the concept of it, but I didn't know how much they made. I didn't know how much Nobody I was going to make as a teacher. Because they want to make a fortune, right? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I got into teaching. Want to do it. Yeah. yeah, I got into teaching and I didn't know how much I was making till I was signing my first contract with them. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, we'll make that work. We'll make that work. Sure. But I had, I had no idea. So it wasn't the, like, hmm. the aspect of making money that drew, drove me to it. It was the I can do this and I know I'm going to be good at it. That was really what drove me. And knowing that I was going to have my dad as a mentor and concurrently, like I said, my sister being at the same time, kind of getting into the real estate industry as well. We were like, this is just going to be one fun party for us. My sister and I have always been best friends. We are complete getting yanks to each other. Everything I love, she hates and vice versa. So 
um, we knew that getting into the business together was going to be a nice fit. Um, so, you know, I, uh, obviously I've lived in California before. I, I've never been to Fresno. I actually might've driven through, but I know everyone drives through it. You've been on the 99. I know. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I, I, I fully passed. I was like, Oh, there's, there's Fresno. Goodbye. <laughs> on the way to LA from San Francisco to LA. But I mean, I know cost of living in California is high taxes are high and you had a teacher's salary. Was that part of your motivation too, to maybe switch that? Was it, uh, were you able to afford cost of living at all? It's interesting. That wasn't, that wasn't my motive. Um, I mean, I, my then boyfriend now, now husband also had a, had a great job. Um, but no, it was never that I, I'm a person who lives well below my means. So the amount of money I was making as a teacher, I could have made that work for the rest of my life. That was, that was not it. It was, I felt the walls of my classroom were caving in on me. And I saw something that my dad was doing that I knew I was going to love. I knew I was going to have fun doing. Um, and I could already like, there was like a pulling at my heartstrings to like help these people. And like, that's what gets me up in the morning is helping people. So I just, I, I could feel it just in my gut that this, this real estate thing was going to, was going to be where I was headed. Well, I think you said something really insightful as well, too, is like explain it to somebody like, you know, like a seven-year-old, just like you did in second grade. And, and I've actually had a client tell me that specifically, like when it was during, I remember because it's during the pandemic and there was a, there was like, they were floating, right. Cause the rates were at like three and a half or something. And they wanted three and a quarter. <laughs> it was like, you oh, know, good days, yeah. and in like, it was, and I was like, you know, something happened with the market. And during that time, like banks were closing. It was, it was crazy. In one week it went to like, it dropped a percent. It went up a percent and a half. And I was like trying to explain to him the volatility in the mortgage backed security market. And he's like, dude, you got to talk to me. Like, <laughs> like I'm a seven-year-old. It's a great reminder because, um, you know, sometimes we get stuck in the industry and, it, and that, that teacher brain, um, like you said, like digesting that information and putting it into something that anyone can understand is a super valuable tool for, for our world. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, that's my, that's my start in real estate. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing when I talk, uh, about investments and stuff to uh, real estate investments to my clients. And sometimes like you, sometimes you just, talk faster than you can think and you just start spitting out these big terms and people are just like, oof, this is overwhelming. <laughs> like, you know, so I, I can I can totally agree. And I sometimes I have to slow down and listen. And I think that's a really big part of, you know, our industry is be able to listen as well. So so I know what it feels like to be that first time investor too. So I do real estate for my first year. I have 12 transactions, all first coincidentally first all time first home buyers. Wow. Nice. And I'm like I, I keep running into these investors who have these potential options for me, or they're looking for something and they're like, find me something with a cap rate of 7%. I'm like, I don't even. How do you do a cap rate? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, Ooh, better look that up. And yeah. so I realized very quickly in this industry that I had to become an investor in order to understand mm. what my investors needed and what they were feeling and what they were going through. I had to go through that process. So closing out my first year in real estate, like that was my goal. By the end of the year, I was like, I'm going to buy my first investment property. Because you that's wanted exactly to be able to attract and relate to those clients. And exactly. So that's exactly what I did. Yeah. I didn't buy the biggest, fanciest multiplex out there. I got myself the smallest three bed, one bathroom place that I could afford independently on my own based upon my new realtor commission mm. and you know my my new income and that's that's what I did I started um <laughs> I think it was 
$78,000. Nice. Put down my put down my 25%, right? And I am an over Here was this is 07 did you say? So, you it was, got, so you could do one of those weird loans, right? During that period? Cuz you only I didn't do you just did a conventional loan. Though. I just did a straight 25%. Yeah, you, I mean, she right. had a down payment. Yeah. So, um, and this was, this was like 2007, you said? 2007. Yep, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah. But that, and the prices were still pretty high then actually, right? I mean, they yeah, were- Yeah, so comparatively, I actually recently yeah. sold it and we sold it for 375. Okay. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but man, I got my feet- real wet with that one because I was just looking at understanding these calculators and running these numbers. And I'm like, Ooh, that's a great cap rate. Not thinking about what class, right. I'm buying in what location mm. I'm buying in. That was a straight up, like solid C, maybe a low C area, right? Like it was not the best area. And I'm out there. I painted a house. Inside of the house, I did a lot of the remodel on that. I did as much as I physically could um, and then brought contractors in for the electrical and the lighting and all that stuff that I couldn't, that I can't do. But I think, you know, I did a ton of it on my own. Granted, nowadays, I would never do that. But I'm young. <laughs> to be honest, I was stupid. I'm, I'm hanging out in a really rough area as a 21-year-old, you know, painting in the middle of the night because I was motivated to get a tenant in. Yep, um, yep. So man, I, I, had I, I had a mortgage to pay, which means someone's got to be paying me rent to make this all happen. Um, so that was, that was my first step into investing. And I, I learned just from hard knocks. We'll just call it, we'll just call it that. So that was my first place. And then soon thereafter, um, I think you realize how to make adjustments to these like default calculators that are out there, right? Great companies put out some amazing calculators, but in every city and really within every neighborhood, we have to make some pretty good adjustments. And with every totally. property, you got to make some good adjustments. So then I really started to learn how to tweak these calculators to make them work for me. Um, and so then it's just not running numbers. It's me looking at not only the numbers, but then I started kind of coming to realize that was not the best location. <laughs> I'm making a good amount of money, but that's not the best location. And that's not a place where I want to go. If I get a service call at 3 a.m., you know, I, and I'm again, very hands-on. So I was like, I can do it. I'll be out yeah. there. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. That's not what I do anymore. But back in the day, hundred percent. Oh, you got a clogged line. I'm on my way. I will be there. I got my snake. Let's go. Let's do it. Oh man. Um, well, super, I've never done was, that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was like super hands-on with everything. Cause I wanted to know, I thought I needed well, to know. Great learning experience. I mean, now you can, you still, I'm sure you still draw on that when you talk to your clients, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know the cost of things now, oh, yeah. the complexity of doing certain things, whether it be a remodel and an upgrade, whatever it be, whatever it may be, like, I know those numbers in and out. And so when I sit down with my clients, I can help them understand what they're getting themselves into. They, they come to me with all these wonderful calculators. Like I said, these great default calculators. Right, right. But I'm like, the biggest yeah, but... sheets and everything. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I've seen, yes. I've seen them all. <laughs> yes. And, but I'm like, that's all fine and dandy. And I understand where you got that number, but let me sit down with you and show you what it's really going to look like. Right. Here's, here's some hard knocks that I'm going to show you. And so I, I sit down with my investors and, we go over real numbers and what this will actually bring. And yeah, like you had mentioned, our property taxes here are crazy. And the, you know, All that, your taxes that kind of stuff. <laughs> insurance is becoming a huge thing in California. I don't know if it is where you guys are, but getting homeowners insurance um, 
is becoming very, very hard. Yeah, not in, not in Portland, no. In some yeah. areas of Oregon, yes, but um, not not in not in the city yet. Not yeah. Yeah. No, I was, so, I was, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say but, it's bad here. So insurance is a huge topic now that we have to talk about. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. No, I mean, I think it's great to have that first experience where, yes, the numbers work. I'm going to, I have so many clients who come with me, like I said, with the fancy calculators, all this stuff. This cash flow is like this. And it's amazing. I was like, okay, well, let's go look at it. And it's rough. Mm-hmm. And that's all the work that needs to be going in. And it's like, well, I'll put an example from Portland. It's like 122nd and Sandy, and it's really like that's a, a like a rougher neighborhood in Portland. Yeah. It's like, okay, so who do you think is going to be able to live here? Do you think they're going to pay rent on time? And you know, do they have motivation to keep their credit up and et cetera, et cetera? Class A, Class B, Class C. Um, so, how did you take that experience and obviously translate to your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So then I, I start. I, I like super hyper focus. So then I'm like, okay, this is not the neighborhood. Kind of start the, building your box of what you, where you want to invest and how you want to. Invest. Right, right. And then I start realizing, well, okay, this is where, what neighborhoods am I comfortable in? What are the mm-hmm. cap rates in those neighborhoods? And then even within those neighborhoods, there are certain communities that draw much higher rent than others. And right. I start hyper diving into all of our communities, all of our different areas. And I found some amazing pockets where there are certain communities, and I don't know about you guys, but in our area, our HOAs can restrict the number of investment properties within an HOA community. Mm-hmm. And so we've got some amazing communities um, that are right at that border. But every once in a while, um, whether because either I, I know someone within the community or I already own a property within it, they open it up into to investors. Mm-hmm. And those rents that you can get within those neighborhoods are killer. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, you had sent me... Um, a while back an address and I had given you an estimated rent. The crazy part is I know exactly who that builder is. I know exactly where that location is. <laughs> I know. It was and, I was like, I should call Crystal. It's like, she probably knows. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. I know. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> the crazy part is, and I think the investor mindset, I understand why your investor bought that one. But the crazy part is, is what some people don't realize is there was that exact same builder who built in a gated HOA community about two miles north of there, um, they were selling for about $50,000 more at original time of construction, but they also had about $100 a month HOA. So a lot of investors go, I'm not spending the additional $50,000, and I also don't want to be on the hook for $100 a month in HOA. Mm. So they went to that community. What they didn't realize is that neighborhood is pulling about $1,800 for that home a month. And in the gated community, yes, I have an HOA, but I'm getting $2,400 a month rent in, in, in the, on those properties, right? And so then it's obviously for any investors out there, it's making sure you know who you're working with and it, making sure that the realtor that you're working with or the real estate agent that you're working with knows the neighborhoods, knows the communities, knows the areas, because I would have sat down with my investor and said, here are your two options. Let's run the numbers and see what makes the most sense to you and maybe that made the most sense at the time um but you know i love to be able to show people these nice little fun little pockets within town where we're just getting some killer rents because of the scarcity of rentals in that area and it's all about supply supply and demand so now when i look for investments i'm looking for you know where is it not overpopulated with rentals because i hate when i put up one of my properties for rent and there's two other ones on the same street and i've got you know Fine, yeah, I've got competition right. and I got to deal with, you know, competing against other people. But if I'm the only one in an entire gated community that's up for rent, or maybe one of very few rentals, even within that community, 
people go nuts over them and they pay more knowing the scarcity of it. Interesting. So your, your kind of your sweet spot of the box that you're looking for is a, a like a community and then be like one that's has less or, or no rentals in the area or limits the rentals. So then you can kind of be the one that, you know, you don't have to com compete with other people. Exactly. I, I've transitioned over the years. So like, right. I'm sure it took a long time to figure it took out. A it took a long time. For a while, yeah. I was like, I want to be next to a Starbucks or a Target. Like I want okay. convenience Classic, as close yeah. as possible. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a second, the clientele or the renters that I want are more of my like, I don't know if you guys, what you, what stores you guys have there, but I'm like, I'm more of like a Trader Joe's or Whole Food kind of, okay. those are the renters that I want. So then I was looking in those areas and now I'm like, I love the renters who rent in an area for the community. Those are my long-term mm. tenants, right? Mm. These are not tenants that are turning out every couple of years. Every single tenant that I have placed, knock on wood, every single tenant that I have placed in one of these communities where it's that community feel, they have their... HOA activities, they've got the community pool, they've got things that drew them to that community have mm -hmm. all been there five years plus, right? right? Like these are not high turnovers. And I am much more of a set it and forget it investor, right? I like to just, yeah. I don't want to hear from them. They don't want to hear from me. I do my, you know, I do my annual inspections, but other than that, like I let them live their life. And I'm finding that just being able to find those communities mm -hmm. in those areas that have a scarcity of rentals is exactly where um, I'm finding my most desirable tenants. Nice. And so I'm assuming when you bought these properties, were they like good cash flowing properties right away? Or you're like, okay, if they at least break even for now, I know it's going to grow in appreciation. Well, what was your strategy getting into these? Obviously, it doesn't seem like they would cash flow right away because they're nice communities. Right. Um, I got lucky with a couple of them and they did cash flow right away. Um, the most recent ones with our most recent market trends. Yeah, they're not going to cash flow for, for a while and it's okay. Um, the one I picked up last year, I probably won't see a positive rate of return for at least till the end of next year. And I'm okay with that. I am not in it for the short run. Mm. Uh, so when I sit with my investors, I always have the conversation with them of, are we looking for immediate cash flow? Are we, what are we looking for? I'm here to build generational wealth. I genuinely have no intentions unless I absolutely need to sell any of my rentals. I want to be able to give those to my kids, right? And in the meantime, I want to make some money off of them. But like that's that's my goal is the generational wealth aspect of it. I want to be able to set everyone in my family up for success from here on out. Right. Um not all investors obviously have that as their, as yeah. their goal. Right. And so then it's having the conversation with them of, okay, if we are looking for immediate cash flow, we got to look in a different, we got to look somewhere else. Right. I know what I invest in is drastically different than what some of my investors need to invest in because of their needs and what their current goals are. So I have goal setting meetings with all of my investors. It's kind of like just my initial investor consult with them to figure out if we're going to mash and if we're going to make this all make sense. But I also want to know them. I want to know what their goals are. And I, then I can help kind of gear them to what what type of properties we're, we're looking for and how what, what our potential price points need to be, what our rents need to be for that area, right? Like then I can help them, but I need to know what their their goals are. But my goals are drastically different than a lot of my investors because i've got investors that look at some of the stuff i pick up and they're like no way yeah, <laughs> no, I get too risky it. like not happening right but 
for me. I, I see the, and, and I'm a long-term, I've lived here my entire life. And so as the, the generation before me, we're long-term Fresnans, right? Where we've been here forever. So I've seen neighborhoods change over time. And I know the neighborhoods, right? Like I know the neighborhoods that are old money. I know the neighborhoods that are new money with kids just blowing stuff. And I know the neighborhoods that potentially 15 years down the line may not be going in the direction that they want to go. And I know some up and coming neighborhoods that if we invest in it now, we might not get what we're looking for immediately, but 15 years down the line, I, you know, I obviously I'm banking money on it, that it's going to go in a, in, in the right direction. So it, it it's again, for the investors, it's making sure you're working with someone who knows your community, knows your neighborhood. Um, you know, I am overly involved within the community. I, I sit on four nonprofit boards here locally, in addition to ARIA and that at the national level, but here locally, I sit on a bunch of different boards. I I hear the ins and outs of what's happening within the town before it happens. So we, we know what's going on. And I think that also gives me some insight as to where I can help my investors and where I, they can invest with the most potential, you know, increase of, of value. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I I see those little inklings of gentrification in parts of neighborhoods in Portland. I'm like, okay, I gotta buy here. I'm gonna start <laughs> start picking up stuff here because I know they're just gonna completely revamp this neighborhood. So that, yeah, awesome. totally. And and so then in that sense, then are you heavily weighted towards single family homes, or do you do you like multifamily stuff as well, or commercial stuff, or what is your kind of? I don't do commercial. That is not my jam. Um, that is a whole different beast, especially in the Fresno area. So that's that's not what my forte is. I have another partner who loves doing commercial. That's what he does. Like I've never invested in commercial because I can't passionately get behind hmm. it. I know the numbers look good on some of this stuff, okay. but it's, that's not my passion. I'm only going to invest on everything. Yeah. Right. Right. And I, I exactly numbers are not hmm. everything. And, um, I know where my passion is. And so, yeah, single family, I mean, the, the largest one I own is a, a fourplex, right? That's for me, that's as big as I've gone. Not necessarily saying that I'm not looking currently into something bigger than that, um, which may be happening very in the very near future, but, um, that single family one to four unit, right? Like that's, that's my bread and butter. That's what I do all day, every day. That that's, that's my jam. Like that's, I know that I know that market. I'm currently starting to venture into the apartment complex world and it's a whole different world, right? Once you pass and you guys, as a lender, you know, once you pass that four unit, right, we're going into five and five and more, yep. um, it's, it's a whole different world. And, um, it's, it's a complex that may need to have someone on site, Ooh. Right. We have to have someone who lives on site. There is. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I've never had to form into an algorithm before and take into consideration with what what's that all going to cost me. And at the end of the day, obviously, I want this to make as much money as possible. And is this the right path for my money? And so that's what we're, we're that's what we're figuring out right now. So not that I'm against apartment complexes by any means. I just personally starting to venture into into that world and i've been doing this i've been doing real estate for 16 years now full time and you know i'm now just starting to dabble in the apartment world but up until this point all of my investments have been fourplexes or single family to fourplexes have you uh dabbled in anything like in terms of short-term rentals or midterm rentals at all with those <laughs> or just, just straight up long term and i said it and forget it leave it alone i love long-term rentals. I did dabble in the world of short-term rentals for a while, and that's 
too hands-on for me. Is, is there any regulations in Fresno? No, okay. no. So oh. Fresno's great. We have no regulations in regards to that. A couple of our like gated and HOA communities sure. do, but yeah, but course, as a city, yeah. no, a nothing city. yet. And which what's is the one... saturation like for that? Is there? Ex- so that's exactly it. We are completely, and especially with since COVID, we've become completely oversaturated. I can look up Air, Airbnb or VRBO or anything, and there's like in my own neighborhood, there's eight of them. I'm like that's oh, wow. oh, to wow. the point where that's too many. So then when I start talking to these short-term rental owners, their vacancy rates are ridiculous. They're they're awful. Like why would you let a property sit vacant almost seventy percent? of the time. Like that doesn't make sense to me because well, they're like, well, yeah, but there's three other Airbnbs on this street. Right. So for me, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. and again, I did it. I had one of mine that I converted into a short-term rental and it was very short-term. We did it for less than a year. And for me, it was the, I didn't want to hire a property management company or anyone to manage it. I wanted to do it myself again, very hands-on because I wanted to understand and learn the process, mm. but I also realized that you get the text message at 2 a.m. You're running a hotel. Yeah. I can't figure out the key. The code isn't working. Do you have an extra blanket? The iron is only turning on to a medium heat and I need it to go hotter for my... No. No. You're the same person. We we I I do single family and multifamily and I dabbled in short-term rentals for about a year. And then I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing (laughs) that. Though I did make good money, better money. It's great. Yes. And so for some of my investors that want to be more hands-on, that is the perfect path for them. Then it's more of a, we need to find a location that isn't oversaturated because Fresno as a whole is completely oversaturated. So then it's finding an area that isn't already oversaturated and the desire for it. Most people that come into Fresno, they're not here on vacation. We don't come to Fresno to, you know, spend our vacation time. No, it's more businesses that are yeah yeah, businesses doing conventions so it's more of the monday through friday type people who who are here most weekends are are vacant or they're on the way up to shaver lake or they're on the way up to yosemite and this is just a stopping ground before they make their way up to where they're actually going so it's being close to the convention centers being close to where they they have a lot of those larger conferences because we've only got two locations in fresno where we can actually accommodate large style conferences that's where those short-term rentals need to be in order to you know be able to really make something because anything on the actual or suburbs of it they're not they're not i i'm sure they're making money but it's for me, having a house at vacant for that period of time just doesn't make sense to me. Oh, yeah. So. I was, was going to say, with uh, rates the way they are, like a lot of my clients are converting into like, look, these numbers work if I do a short-term rental. And I'm like, oof. <laughs> like, you know, like, are you, like you mentioned, are you willing to put your time and energy and, you know, context switch from, you know, giving somebody a key code to doing your actual day job? And sometimes, oh my God, some people are like, oh yeah, I'll save money by cleaning my own spot. And I'm just like, all right, have fun, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're willing to do that, but you could, I mean, I don't know. Some people have the wherewithal and energy to do that, but yeah. like, you know, from me having that experience and actually cleaning my own Airbnb, you know, I definitely give them my, my dire warnings. And then obviously if they still want to do it, I was like, okay, well, let's go. I mean, I feel like the people that do it successfully, they either have it in their backyard, right? So yeah. it's like a right. one, one room detached garage or whatever, or their basement when they, you know, they go and clean it really quick and, or if 
like you guys, you just pass it over to management and pay yeah. the, pay the oh. 25% fee or whatever, whatever it is I, yeah. to cost to run a hotel. Right. Yeah. Let's just say this. It's, uh, or they have it in their business model where they have like an employee that can go and clean it or exactly. I had, I had yeah. my cousins clean it for a bit. And uh, that's to say it kind of hurt our relationship a little bit. Cause it was like, Oh, this isn't clean. This isn't that, you know, things aren't up to a certain standard or yeah. so let's just say it was tough managing people managing the units and then eventually I, I obviously my business was growing and I needed to focus on that and occasionally having to drive and my air my Airbnb was on the other side of town so I would have oh, to drive 45 yeah. minutes go there fix something come back so you know if if people are up for that or they want to buy something close or they're willing to take on dealing with it's it's a different business because you are uh focused on was a uh customer service it is a customer right. service business absolutely if you're willing to do that then great you know but you're running a business you're not running like a passive income business i have a very successful agent in my office and that's all he does he has rentals up in shaver lake so from his house to the closest front door takes him about an hour and 20 minutes but he's there three times a week and mm -hmm. absolutely loves it right this is his passion and he'll probably continue to pick up more as as you know there's restrictions up there. So yeah. as spaces become available, I'm sure he'll he'll pick up more, but that's his jam. And he cleans his own places. He does his own repairs. Oh, he does it all oh. Okay. Yeah. But he does it yeah. all him. He does it all himself. He, uh, ev everything from the booking to like answering all of the zillions of questions that come in. Like he, do he does it all and he absolutely loves it. He's making a killing doing it. Sure. More power to him. Like I, that's not, that's not me. Right. And so every investor's got their own set of guidelines and ways that they like to do things. And that's just, it's not, it's not me. No, I totally, some people want to work for like are totally fine working hard for their money. And some people just want that extra passive income coming in. I, I decided, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'll pay property management 25% yeah. to, to deal with this. I don't want to think about it. Every time they message me, I was like, I pay you to not think about this. <laughs> 25%. Leave me alone, exactly. 25% is pretty good. We started at 28 and they're like 28 to 30% here. So that's pretty right. good. Okay, oh. good. It didn't feel good because I know regular property you know? is like what? As low as six in like the, the class C neighborhoods at, to as high as 14%, you know, obviously if you're, they're dealing with a nicer, nicer properties. So 25% to me was a huge shock, but it's been doing okay. I mean, yeah, so much more active. Yeah. Um. So, so speaking about the Fresno market for, for folks that are kind of not familiar with, um, you know, Fresno and California in general, help us understand like, what's the, what's the entry price point now? Um, like, you know, what's your typical kind of first time home buyer looking at to get started? Yeah. So I work the Clovis area, which is, I just call it the pimple of Fresno. So Fresno is a little over a million people. Clovis, we've got about a hundred thousand people, right? So yeah. much, much smaller. Um, people are drawn to our area for two reasons, schools in Clovis or our healthcare systems. We've mm. got four major hospitals of which two are training hospitals. Hmm. And then in addition to it, we've got a lot of medical schools. So people come okay. here for, for those, for those reasons, um, starting price, our average median price for Fresno is about three forty five. Okay. And that's like a three bedroom, three, two, three, two three bedroom, two bathroom, yeah. 1600 square foot home on a 6,000 square foot lot. Yep. 
Same thing in Clovis, your start date or median is about 440. Okay, so it's a little bit higher. So there is a difference between yeah. Fresno and Clovis. Biggest reason is our school districts. People pay premium for being in the Clovis Unified School District. Uh, property taxes in Clovis are higher, not much, but Fresno is a little over one, like 1.1%, 1 .1 where Clovis were about 1 1.25, 1.28. Mm -hmm. So a little bit higher, but that makes a big difference when you've got some valuable properties. Um, but that's our, our standard. Everyone thinks that we're ag- and all we got is a bunch of farm workers. That is not the case. Maybe on the outskirts of town, that may be true. <laughs> driving, driving, yeah. driving past. We're, yeah, we're, we're not like, I'm not sitting at an intersection and I look over and see horses and cows. That's not, that's not <laughs> here. I that's feel like that's everyone's <laughs> understanding of what Fresno is, but it's not. Um, and what, are, what would that home rent for? Uh, so in Clovis, about 2,400. Okay. And that's, Fresno. That's ratio. 19. Yeah. Okay. No, for the Fresno. price, I mean, that's lower than Portland's by like, like a, a solid three, two in Portland would be like, what, 550? Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. depending on, depending on the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically our rough, rough average. So yeah. no, I would love, I mean, now I'm thinking like, Hey, should I invest in Fresno? <laughs> Check out Fresno. I'd have you, have you to show you around. Yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, everyone has this, this understanding of Fresno that either were infested with gangs, which we are not, they don't, I've never had any issues with anyone it's yes it's all over the news but that's that's another that's a whole other side of town i can show you that side of town but that's that's not where we that's not where we want to be um or or they think that we're just surrounded by a bunch of cows and horses which again is not it's not the case um and then during so an interesting shift happened in the fresno air clovis area especially um during covid so all of our tech people from the bay area we're now told you can work from home. So exactly. They're all they're all living in there with their families in a one bedroom, itty bitty, teeny tiny place. And they realized I can get my kids into an amazing school district two and a half hours away. And I can now work remotely from home. And if I do need to go to the office, I can be there in two and a half hours. So I had during 2020, 35% of my buyers was 34.8% of my buyers came from the Bay Area that were coming to Clovis to live owner occupied. These are not just investors who wanted to invest in our area. They're coming to live as owner occupied buyers because they wanted their kids to be in our Clovis Unified School District system which is absolutely phenomenal. And they could work from home and it was a two and a half hour commute if they ever did have to go in. And most of my clients would, would tell me once a week, some of them are once a month, some of them don't have to go in at all, yeah. right? So, but if they ever did have to, for whatever reason, go in back into the office, they could be there pretty quickly. It wasn't a long drawn out drive that they were gonna dread. Um, and the quality of life, most of them were going from something less than 900 square feet the average square footage that I sold to my Bay Area investors during 2020 was just shy of 4,000 square feet. Yeah, we, you know, they have the money for it. I, you they know. have the money for it, 100%. And they're buying in the great neighborhoods next to the mm. great elementary or next to next to the great schools. And man, they, they've been sitting pretty ever since. Most of them got in in 2020. And even since then, values have, have gone up. And it's just a whole different quality of life, right? When I talk to them, they're like, it's, it's night and day from what they were experiencing to the quality of life that they have that they have now and with their kids still receiving the absolute best in regards to schools that, you know, it was a, it, it was a no brainer for them back in 2020. And now as values have gone up, 
Um, Cause everyone kind of jumped on that, that bandwagon. They're like, yeah, now we're sitting real pretty. So. <laughs> yeah. And are they, most of them still there? Like did any of them. I have not sold. None of them got called back. Yeah. They've all stuck around to the, yeah. To yeah. the best yeah. of my knowledge. And I, I stick, I stay pretty close with my my past clients. Yeah, none yeah. of them, none of them have sold. And in fact, most of them have gone. Man, Clovis is this unrealized place that people are unaware of, and a lot of them have now invested in Clovis. Right? They they not only own a property, live here, but now they're becoming investors because they genuinely believe in everything that Clovis has to offer. Mm-hmm. The city of Clovis, their their logo motto for the for the city is a Clovis way of life, and it is. It's completely different because we kind of do things differently even than Fresno right it's it, it really is this whole separate way of life it's this small community surrounded by a big city right yeah. Fresno being yeah. the big city but we are a really small community and everyone knows everyone and um, it's it's that it's that small community feel that you get with a super high-end education all the medical things that you need around right every every healthcare system is here in full force. And then we, we got some great colleges. So people are realizing we're going to, we're going to be here and we're going to be here a while. Yeah. I was going to mention, like, I don't know if you know, I'm a former software engineer in the San Francisco area. Um, okay. yeah. So I know I, I didn't even think about real estate because most people are renting. Like you you just don't think about how much value owning property, like adds to your net worth. And so I'm, I'm sure, like you said, you've got a lot of these engineers to buy these huge homes that grew a couple hundred thousand dollars, I'm assuming. They're like, oh, yeah. wow, I just made money doing nothing. I might as well real estate. Yeah. That's what I did because we nobody can afford anything in the Bay Area. You know, right. you're you could be a two software engineer uh, family, a husband and wife, and you can't even afford a home that's within an hour of the city unless you're living in a condo. So yeah, yeah no. So you're not getting any of the um, engineers. What I'm calling, uh, they're calling is like clawback. Like Facebook's like, you got to come back to the office. I think Amazon's telling people to. I have some clients who are like, I might have to move to Seattle because they need us in the office. Back none, of contact, none of them have contacted me yet that that have that have told me that so no not 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 yet and if they I are mean, like you said there it's not the worst commute right i mean it's bad two and a half hour every drive on the, on the long side not, a, a, not a daily thing yeah but not a daily but if they got to go back once a week yeah i mean yeah. my husband lived in the bay area for a year and a half um and you know he made he made that commute three times three times a week hmm that's yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could do a five hour that, commute. That's that's California yeah. thing though. When I need to anytime yeah. talk about like an hour commute or something, they're like, mm. that's, that's fine. Oh, I'm so spoiled. My house from my office to my house, it takes me 90 seconds door to door. And that's wow. if that, that's even with hitting that stop sign. And if there's a car ahead of me, like the you're seconds. doing the rolling stop regardless. <laughs> <laughs> like 90 seconds, let's make that 80. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Right. So I, I'm super spoiled. My son's daycare is on one street away and my daughter's school is a street and a half away. So I, I've got everyone within a, you know, less than a half mile radius of me at all times. So that kind of, yeah, this, this is my, this is my hub right here. So <laughs> yeah, when I think about an hour commute, there's no, mm, I can't do it. I'm so spoiled. Well, yeah, no. Bay Area, LA, no, no way. That's, <laughs> that's kind of a good, big reason why I left too. It was like, I'm not getting stuck in this much traffic, but um. Yeah. So you mentioned you have a bunch of single family and multifamily. Uh, do you mind sharing like what your portfolio looks like exactly like numbers wise? Ooh, that's a great question. I don't have anything in front of me and I haven't run updated numbers. I've got 22, oh. 22 rentals. Okay. Um, two fourplexes. 
Yeah, the bird's eye view is great. Okay. Yeah. I've got yeah, 22 rentals. So I've got two fourplexes, two du duplexes, the rest are single, single family. On the low end, my my smallest rent right now is 915 a month. On the high end, uh my highest rent is 3600 Wow. And it are what's the kind of like longer term plan? Are you planning on kind of keeping the the big sprawling portfolio or are you going to slowly sort of consolidate it um what's what's your sort yeah, of so I kind of mentioned I'm looking into yeah. a, an apartment complex and if I do end up going down that route which which may be the route we're going I'm gonna have to sell off some of these to make uh -huh. to make this whole thing happen um but genuinely I don't want to ever have to sell anything I did a couple of 1031s yeah. purely because I was trying to get out of certain neighborhoods and into other neighborhoods right things became available and I was like in order to buy that, I got to sell something. I want to upgrade this piece. Right, right. So we did a lot of we did a lot of upgrading with our with 1031s, but I don't want to sell. Like I said, my goal is generational wealth. So I want to put the properties that I buy are in areas that I think are going to be there long term. These are not the hot and happening neighborhoods that will potentially fade over the next decade or so. These are areas that I see are either the up and comings or they're I, I call them old money neighborhoods, right? They've just, they've stayed tried and true for decade after decade after decade, right? These are homes that have just always been a great neighborhood. Those are the areas that I'm investing in. Um, yeah, my, like I said, my, my portfolio is definitely skewed towards long-term, single family long-term rentals. I want to hold them as long as I, as long as I possibly can. And how do you, do you, how, like, do you have someone on staff that manages it for you? Or are you kind of just have figured out a system for your yeah, own? She's got or? the snake so she can clean out all the, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> are so you just enough, I have like, hired a management, yeah. yeah, I've hired a management company for six of my rentals. I was very specific in those six because basically those are the six that I don't want to deal with, mm -hmm. right? Those are kind of like that's the front like end. Not the, the big, that... a huge portion of your portfolio though. That's like, I mean, that's only what, a third of it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, so I managed the rest of them. Okay. <clears throat> but those six I purposely picked out because for me, it's not worth the headache mm -hmm. that I was receiving from those, those six, whether it be because they're across town, whether it be because of the, location the quality of home because some of them I've, I've got one built in 19 i so here in fresno we don't have super super old homes i don't know how it is in portland um i've got family that lives there yeah, and i know what they yeah. live in but yeah so i've got some that are built in like 1912 1910 and they just need purely because of age they just need more maintenance i don't yep. want to deal with that so those ones I kind of shuffled off to a phenomenal property manager that I know, and he handles those six and the rest of them I handle, I handle on my own. And with me just kind of being in real estate, I do real estate all day, every day. It's, it's just a little bit extra that I have to deal right. with. And really it's not even that frequently. Most of my tenants I've gotten to know very well where they know um, the handyman that is on call 24 seven, right? They know who they can contact. So rarely do I even get the call. I get the invoice, but I really do. I get the call. Right. And so that's what I like is I'm, like I said, I'm a very set it and forget it kind of girl. So unless it's the house is on fire, you know, knock on wood, hopefully something like crazy like that never happens, but really, yeah, my tenants know not to, not to bug me. They, I love them. They love me. 
but they know not to not to bug me. If it's some kind of servicing issue that they need, they know who can who they can call. And then I've got agreements with most of them that if you can't for whatever reason get a hold of him, you hire out your own people and we'll we'll reimburse you. Right. Like I've I've have that working relationship with my longer term renters that I I don't have to deal with that. So there's no point in me having a property manager for those ones. But the other yeah. six, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. They can they can deal with them. <laughs> No, I, I I love uh that you have a great system. You know, like a lot of people, I like you know, like you're talking about with the older properties, and you know, oh, you know, I tell a lot of my tenants who not tenants, clients who buy those types of properties, like oh, you're gonna have to be out there a lot, and you want to self manage. But when you do create a system where you have your contractor and you're like two steps away, like that can make that can really turn your portfolio into a passive, really passive business. That's the goal. Yep. <laughs> And do you have like a strategy of, are you, are you going to plan on paying everything off early or do you have a plan on uh, what you're going to do? Or are you just going to make your payments over time? So most people don't know this, but most of my properties are owned free and clear. Oh, you, I you, have aggressively paying them already. I've been aggressively paying them off. Correct. What's your, what's your strategy for doing that? Like when, once your portfolio gets bigger, do you like, do you kind of do the snowball one or do you kind of just always pay a little extra with each one or how, how have you been? How have you focused on that? Uh, snowball was more of the approach that I took. There were some that I just, like one of them, I had a mortgage that was $600 a month. I'm like, I just need to be done with this. This is yeah, one yeah. thing that I get in the mail right. every single month. Well, I'm done right. with it. Right. Yeah. So I started focusing on that one. And I realized that all the rent money that was coming in, right. I, I knew what I could kind of push back towards that one. I, yeah. I snowballed that one. That one was gone. And then I'm like, oh, well, that feels good. Let's do this for another one, right? And so then yep. I did it for the next, and now I'm in the, in the next, and the next, and the next. So I currently have um, only three of my properties that have a mortgage on it. Oh, nice. that is awesome. Yeah. That's real generational wealth when you don't have payments on that. You don't have right. debt that you have to worry about. Yeah, right. I mean, the, that's that method's super, oh, super effective. And yeah. can you explain the snowball effect for our listeners? Oh, yeah, sorry. I mean, it's just hyper-focusing all of your money on one debt. So granted, at the time I had, you know, let's just say I had 10 mortgages, right. but I'm making the payments on the other nine, but any penny that I have extra sitting in that account goes straight towards that one mortgage. And it was, you, you know- you picked the smallest one, right? I started with the smallest. And I, so I'm also a- Dave Ramsey follower, right? So like with gazelle intensity is the word that he uses. I was super focused on getting that one paid off. And, you know, the literal joy of like writing that last check and making that mortgage go away. I was like, oh, this is addicting. This is really addicting. So then once that one was done, we started focusing on the next one and the next, it, right? And it's always the it smallest has. one, not like the highest interest. No, not highest interest. It's the okay. smallest one. Cause then once you pay that one off, then you have an extra $600 or exactly. whatever it was a month to, okay. to go to the next one. Yes. Okay. I go off of the size of the loan. So I, yes, I was going with the, the smallest. And at that point it was, I think it was only, well, when I started it, I think it was like 97, 97,000. So, you know, when you hyper-focus on, that number, I would, like I said, I was taking all of my rent money. Things were put aside where they needed to be put aside. But at the end of the day, whatever was left, it went straight towards that mortgage. And we were able to pay that one off pretty quickly. And it, like I said, it's addicting. Once, once you have one and you know, when that rent money comes in, that's it. That's end game, right? It stays yeah. in my account. I don't have to, I don't have to pay anyone else. I don't have to pay the mortgage company. It gets to sit in my account and that's where forever it will live until I do something with it. Um, but I'm also the kind of person who 
I'm a, I'm an oversaver, but I'm also that person that if I've got money sitting in an account, I've got this like burning desire to spend it on real estate. Oh, yeah. Like oh, the second okay. I'm like, oh, I've got, I've got my 25. I'm ready to go. Like the second I have enough. <laughs> We're doing that the right second now. <laughs> I have enough, I'm like, let's do it. Let's pick, let's pick something else. Let's pick right. something else up. So there's always, there's always that part of it too. So if you're looking at what's physically in my account, it's not ever going to be a lot, but I own a lot of properties free and free and clear. And if I needed to, you know, I, if I had to, I guess I could sell some of those whenever it was harder for cash but like i said goal is or get a loan yeah right no i mean i i I love that because like sometimes i mean i have uh, occasionally you know tenants who don't pay and i'm like oh man they're not putting the money into my account to cover my mortgage i'm gonna have to finagle it's like an extra thing to think about an extra thing to manage and obviously i would just like to have all that cash coming into my account it's like oh i can just spend this now or yeah buy more property or just buy more properties i'll just say we don't just spend it we buy more properties yeah that's bad i mean i'm very similar very (laughs) frugal as well so (laughs) well um crystal if you if you were like talking to somebody that was you know thinking about buying their first investment property but they kind of couldn't figure out a strategy or didn't know where to get started what what would be your advice or like what would you what would you say to get them like motivated? Yeah. Um, so a lot of my first time investors, I try to help them partner up with each other. Or more I in the ideal world, I would love for them to partner up with someone who's done this a lot. We've got a lot of big investors in town who would be happy to pick up a small one with one of my first time investors and teach them, teach them the ropes. And so I've got three investors that have done this for me numerous times where they're like, we'll go 50, 50 with one of your first time investors. We'll show, we'll show them what's going on. Um, and really that's the best way to get in. Cause if you're only taking on half the liability of maybe a $250,000 home, right. There's not, can't not, not too, too much can go wrong in, in, that, in that situation. Right. And then you've got a seasoned investor on the other side as a partner who, if something really does hit the fan, then, mm-hmm. then they're there, then they're there to help. Right. Yeah. And so I, I have great working relationships with a couple of local investors who have done this and they do it, they do it on big scales. Right. So they're, they're ideally investing in 15 to 20 properties a year. Like that, some of them, that's their goal is I need to pick up, not just hold on to not what's in my portfolios. I want to pick up an additional 15 to 20 mm-hmm. doors a year. And so for those guys, I'm always like, Hey, I've got this first time investor who's got X amount of cash. This is what he or she wants, wants to do. Would you be interested in partnering up on them on this particular property? I've run the numbers. This is what they look like. And my investors know me well enough at this point where if I'm sending something their way that I've already vetted it, right. They, they know that let's, let's hop on board. So they're like, yeah, absolutely. And, and in doing so, right. For me sending them that property, comes the they understand that they're I'm also sending over a newbie investor so they're going to need some help with understanding the numbers and understanding how this whole mm-hmm. process goes but I've got investors who want to hold long term and then I've got investors who just want to flip them as fast as possible and so I know who to kind of partner them up with so if you can find yourself a realtor who has those connections that's always the ideal but if not start with something small like I said I my first one was this itty bitty guy this three one I don't even think it was a thousand square feet get something small, something manageable mm. and just do it, like start because that's the only way you're going to learn. Just like with it, most things in real estate, you got, you got to, you got to learn with your feet on the ground, right? You got to learn by, by doing it and be in the trenches and understand 
um, what all happens within a property. And you don't want to do that with a, with a big old property and, and 17 other investors with you. It's nice to learn that kind of life of hard knocks, right? Learn it by yourself at the oh, beginning, yeah. but do it on a small scale. Don't, don't pick up something big, pick up a, pick up a little guy and, and learn and learn with, learn with a small one. And then you, you'll be, you'll be bit by the investor bug and, and off you'll go with, with being addicted and buying more. But I would say, start with something small, the smaller you can find the better, but learn all of the intricacies that happen within that property, you know, how hard it is or lack thereof to rent it, what all of the additional outgoing costs are, whether you're dealing with permits, rezone, like there's a million things that, that can happen. Um, at property taxes, right? Some people just, oh, yeah. yep. they hear proper, the word property tax, they don't realize that's a thing. And it, that bill comes twice a year and there's no joke. Mm -hmm. You don't pay that, right? Like our newer investors don't realize all the different things. And like I said, it, uh, insurance right now, huge, huge topic. And oh, so yeah. it's dealing with all, all of the kind of- Yeah, what, of what is the insurance? What are you guys seeing for an annual premium there now? Oh, so <laughs> back to the three, two example of a 1600 square foot home, three to 1600 right now. Yeah. What did I just, so we pay in six months. I don't know how you guys pay there. We but pay we pay annually. In, yeah. You pay annually. Time. Okay. Yeah. So then let me double it. So then for my three to 1600 square foot home annually, we're looking at about 2,400. Okay. So 200 bucks a month. Yeah. That's, that's probably almost quite, that's somewhere between three and four times what we, what, what's standard here. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I, it I would, wasn't like that. If you would have asked me that two years ago, we would have been 900 to a thousand. Oh, that's, that's those prices. Mm -hmm. huh? no, it's, it's tough. Uh, insurance no. is becoming a big hot topic in our area with yeah. all of these insurance companies literally fleeing California, I swear every notice I get is, oh, we're no longer covering California. We're no longer covering California. No. Um, finding insurance companies that will cover us for all of our properties is becoming much harder. I used to just have an umbrella policy, same company for all of my rentals. I can't do that anymore. Mm, I can't yeah. find one company that's willing to cover everything. So now I'm with three different companies Such because I can't yeah. yeah, I can't find one that's willing to to blanket policy plus, you know, individual cover all of my right. all right. of my rentals. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, I do love your, I think it's one of the first times we've heard, you know, for first time investors to partner up or not, not, not the first time you've heard it, but obviously hooking them up with another. Yeah. Well, with the actual providing too. Yeah. Well, the, 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 to me, the providing the, the connection is nice because yeah, we talk about partnering, but it's hard to like trust someone in that financial situation. How do you advise the setup? Like in terms of, do you just do tenants and commons where they're both on the loan or? Correct. Okay. Okay. 50, no, it's 50 great. tenants in common hundred. Yeah. Every, um, so I even have it to where, where they make, um, everything goes into a joint account and it's auto withdrawn, like, right. Everything is all mm -hmm. funneled into one separate bank account and everything goes 50, 50. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, you're making the investor happy with OPM, which is other people's money. Well, and also there's, I feel like people forget about the being a little bit of a mentor and like helping somebody I think is a really gratifying. And, um, I think a lot of people in the real estate world like to do that. Yep. And, you know, absolutely i've got some investors who would never do it right they're just like no it's yeah. all about oh, they don't want to deal with they just need to focus on themselves nothing against them they just need to focus on themselves or on investing but i've got some phenomenal people who just love to share 
their knowledge with anyone willing to listen to them. And I'm like, I got people who want to listen. And so if I know that they've had some successful investments and they have these skill set, I think the like teacher brain, the backside of me is always like, oh, I can partner up those two. I can mm. partner up these people. Oh, yeah. And I also think it's about the right fit um, personality yes. wise. That's really, yes. really why that's huge. 100%. That's why we're getting our duplex together. <laughs> <laughs> we trust each other for yeah. now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Crystal, uh, if people are trying to get a hold of you through social media or through your email, how could they get a hold of you? Yeah. Uh, so social media, I'm Crystal Ansay Broker on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, Great. Crystal Ansay Broker, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just call me. I'm I'm always two inches from my phone. So give me a call. We'll We'll chat and we'll go from there. Great. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time and knowledge, Crystal. We we really appreciate it. And um, we'll, we'll send you the, the episode here in a bit. Sounds great. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Realized Gains podcast. If you have any questions for our co-hosts or guests, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube or at jordanleemortgage.com.